Welcome to Ballistic Radio, brought to you by Surefire, the professional's choice for suppressors and illumination tools. Surefire, America's beacon of freedom. I'm your host, John Johnson. Remember, you can always listen to past shows at BallisticRadio.com. Get the latest behind-the-scenes info, arguments, photos, videos, other stuff at Facebook.com slash BallisticRadio. Coasting with me, the Danger Pixie Actual, Melody Lauer. Bonjour. Well, you got two. You got two. Um, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see how long this keeps up, right? Hey, guess what? <laughs> What's that? <laughs> oh, my God. Are you okay? No, I'm not. Did you just go through well, puberty? I, no, I was laughing, and then I was coughing, and it came out as like a <laughs> That kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> this segment brought to you by Lucky Gunner and Federal Premium Ammunition. Whether there was a firefight or you do, in fact, want to worry about that little guy, you need more ammo, and when it's time to restock, you can't beat Federal Premium Ammunition at LuckyGunner.com. With a shipping department that's always moving at 88 miles per hour, if I order a case of American Eagle from Lucky Gunner on a Thursday, it's at my doorstep, ready to shoot before the weekend starts. Head to LuckyGunner.com today to check out their in-stock lineup of federal premium ammunition. And remember, unless you're on fire or drowning, you can never really have too much ammo. So I'm super excited to welcome back our Season 5 finale guest into Season 6, Gabe White. Gabe, how's it going, man? Doing great. Thanks for having me on again. Oh, dude, I could uh, I could talk to you all the time. And yeah, it sounds like I got a, a bro crush on Gabe because I totally have a bro crush on Gabe. You know what's <laughs> funny, though, is my birthday party, you were so enamored with Gabe that no one even noticed that I was choking at my own birthday party. <laughs> I noticed. I just Gabe was saying something important, and I figured you'd fix it. So, uh, for those for those that don't know, man, uh, who are you? What do you do? And we'll we'll hop right in. Well, my name is Gabriel White. Uh, mostly, I go by Gabe. Um, I'm just a private citizen that uh, has been real interested in the martial arts and self defense for my whole life, and uh, and the last long time that's been centered around the martial art of the handgun. And uh, so I've, you know, been the serious tactical defensive student for a long time and eventually gotten into, uh, expanded into more of the technical world and I've been pushing myself on technical skills and that's kind of the thing that I'm known for and I have, uh, have a class that I teach nationally to help, help people along that same path if they're looking for that. I'm super excited because by the time this airs, we will be like two weeks away from the one that Melody and I are going to. All right. I'm looking forward to it. That's going to be awesome. Yeah, it is going to be. Uh, it is going to be. So we, um, we've we been talking for probably four or five years now via email. We actually finally got to meet at Tactical Conference, and that was cool. Uh, yes. got, to, got to shoot against you and lost horribly, uh, but that was also pretty cool. Um, what did you think of TACCON this year, man? This is your first... Um, First TACCON you've ever gone to. Uh, I, assume, yeah. <laughs> I assume some of the crowd was different than you expected, but what what did you think overall? Well, I wasn't really sure exactly what to expect, but, I mean, I, this is just a different different event in a different place, but it's the same kind of community that I've been in for a real long time. So I guess I didn't really know what to expect exactly, but it ended up being kind of kind of what I expected. It was great. I mean, I uh, if you had asked me to make a wish list, of what would be all the awesome things that could conceivably happen when you went to TACCON for your first time, 
all the things that I might have, you know, mentioned, but, you know, actually happened. I mean, I mean, it was great. I got to go there, meet a whole bunch of people like yourself. You're, you're a great example. A whole bunch of people that I've kind of known for a little while, really wanted to finally meet in person, finally got to meet in person. And that was excellent. Um, I, it was a, a great honor that Tom Gibbons wanted me to be a presenter at my first time at TACCON. And uh, the response to the class was, was, you know, very, very humbling and uh, clearly uh, seemed, to, seemed to be pretty well received and people were pretty interested and that was really cool. And I got to go attend some other great training with some other trainers that I had wanted to train with and that was cool. And, and I got to shoot the match and was very fortunate to come away with the win. Uh, against that field, and that was a really. By the time you know, by the time it got to the top sixteen, I was looking at that field going, "This is a, this, this is a pretty stacked field," and it really was. That was a that was a really stiff uh, shoot up in the end. Oh yeah, no, it was, and so a lot of people. Um, here, let's talk about the match for a little bit because I. Yeah. It's curious because I have people that have never been in TACCON that are big in the USPSA ask me about the match, and they're like, "Well, is it a legit match? Is it not a legit match?" And I so and I kind of want your opinion because I've shot very little USPSA. I've only ever shot one actual match, and then I've done like some stages that were ad hoc or whatever somewhere I was at. Right, um, so not not an area of expertise for me. But I think what a lot of people don't realize about the TACCON match is that there is no room for error at all if you if you want to do well at that. And I'm not saying that there's necessarily more room for error at USPSA, but, uh, I mean, I don't know. I'd like your opinion. It seems like there are places in USPSA that you can make up some mistakes, whereas the match at TACCON is so condensed that once you do, you're done, you know? Yeah, that's that's a really interesting way to put it. I, I think, Yeah, I, I agree. I think that, uh, well, there are a few different dynamics going on there, right? So with a really, really short-form test, like, Let's call that TACCON for right now because the, the, the strings of shooting are pretty short and succinct, relatively speaking, yeah. uh, compared to USPSA anyway. Sure. Um, uh, when you have that, it, that creates a couple of dynamics uh, compared to a longer course like USPSA. So on one hand, you're gonna, it, it's exactly what you said. You're going to have very little margin for mistakes, and it's such a short thing that usually – you know, the winner is, is is usually just making very, very, very few mistakes because each mistake is a large portion of what's measured. Right. Um, and in USPSA, it's a lot longer. You can maybe absorb somewhat more. It's more of a marathon, not a sprint. Um, but what you what you also end up happening have happening a little bit is, say you had the world championship of, of USPSA, you know, that's obviously made up, but suppose that you had that and it was going to be decided by who shoots the best bill drill one time. Yeah. Now, the, the results would look radically different probably than the actual nationals or world championship results from that type of competition because you need these very, very long courses of fire to more reliably discern differences between a whole lot of highly skilled shooters where you're going to measure the differences in just little tiny amounts. Right. Um, and and so so I think I think that the uh, a short form course like like TACCON is really really unforgiving, and and I think you can make a, you can create difficulty a number of ways, but three of the main ways you can create difficulty you can make accuracy hard, you can make ta- the time aspect hard, 
You can leave neither of those all that hard in and of themselves, but require a really, really, really low rate of error. Mm-hmm. And that will all, that's another way to increase the difficulty is, is maybe the time's not that hard, maybe the accuracy's not that hard in isolation, but together and with the rate of error that is going to be tolerated, which is very low, that is what makes it really hard. And I think that's kind of the, the main operative dynamic from this is this is that, you know, it's, it's like, I mean, the shoot-off was a three-shot test. I mean, you know, obviously in a lot of instances it took many of us, myself included, more than three shots to get that job done. But in theory, that should be a, a draw and three-shot string. And that's right, it. right. You know? Well, and I, I think that the brilliance of, of this, and we got about two minutes and twenty seconds left in this segment. But um, if you really consider what Tom has uh, has, you know, always tried to make the TACCON be, which is something that is is of benefit for real world self defense, and when you consider that real world self defense, it's there's very little room for error. I think placing an emphasis on emphasis on that, even in the match, was was incredibly intelligent. You know. Yeah, I, I really liked the match. I like really like direct person versus person uh, race type events like that. Uh, I think that's a really uh, very very good way to, to structure a pressure shooting environment. And I think it was I think it was really good. And I did think it was a very legitimate match. I was very pleased to see it administrated in what, what I thought was a completely fair way. There weren't any little you know gotcha elements. Some you know, trick of procedure or something to, 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 to create an excuse to say, aha, see, you failed because you didn't do the dance the right way, even right. though your results were excellent. You know, there wasn't any of that at all. It was, it was a very, very fair and straightforward match. I really liked it. Well, really I mean, I, I found the bracketing system somewhat unfair only because my first bracket was against Ernest Langdon, and then my second bracket was against you. But no, and I'm kidding. I mean, that's just, <laughs> that, that's just how it how it got drawn out. Yep. Melody's making yep. a face at me like you say you're kidding. No, I am. I mean, and honestly, that was really cool. Um <laughs> it was. So, but uh we got about well, we got about 40 seconds left. So, I don't want to ask you any serious questions. Well, well okay, so l- let me say two things real fast. So, one, it really was an honor to shoot against everybody that I shot against there. That that shoot that shoot off contained 16 people that, you know, from everything I know about them and have seen Everybody was capable of winning it. Everybody had the raw technical skill to win it. It was just going to come down to execution. Right. And we're probably going to have to come back to this, but um, there there was room for error, but not much. And it's an unknown amount, and it relates very directly to, uh, I think, on-demand performance in uh, other types of tests as well. Um, but we'll, I, I suspect we'll have to get back to that. We probably yeah, no, and actually, right this, this is a great spot to stop. We're talking with Gabe White. You're listening to Ballistic Radio. Welcome back to Ballistic Radio, brought to you by Surefire, the professional's choice for suppressors and illumination tools. Surefire, America's beacon of freedom. This segment brought to you by Wilson Combat. Wilson Combat, makers of the finest custom 1911s and scatterguns since 1977, a legacy of quality, innovation, and service. Learn more about their firearms and accessories, as well as the new EDCX9, which offers discriminating shooters 1911 match grade accuracy, superior ergonomics, and concealability with modern service pistol capacity and reliability at www.wilsoncombat.com. So we're talking with Gabe White, and you were saying that the the performance on demand aspect, um, and then I interrupted you, so I apologize. You, you said something a minute ago uh, that, that there was very little margin for error, and that's it, it, it's true, but I, I think of it a, a certain specific way. So 
one of my probably my single biggest takeaway from Roger from the Rogers shooting school and my experience there is that with regard to performance under pressure is that you have to remain mentally composed and focused on cleanly completing the task at hand right. over and over and over again. And mistakes probably are factually going to get made. And you can recover from those mistakes, but you have to do that right away. You cannot follow up one small mistake with more small mistakes and more small mistakes or compound your one small mistake into a catastrophic mistake. You can make little mistakes, and probably in all reality those things are going to happen. But what's most important is that you remain mentally composed and remediate it correctly as soon as the mistake is made and get back on track. And to me, this, related, this is exactly related to the shoot-off at TACCON. So here you have the situation where – all kinds of pressure is created. You know, there's pressure just from the environment. There's pressure from the go command. There's pressure from the fact that you know the other person is in the act of drawing the gun and acting against you, at least within the scope of the contest. There's pressure created because they're firing, and that's worse if they're firing before you're firing. And there's more pressure created when you know they're hitting. There's pressure created when you know you're not hitting, worse when those two things combine. So there's pressure from all this stuff, right? right. And there are, there's, there's lots of moments where you may feel behind. And at that moment, to be successful, your task is to remain mentally composed and complete the task at hand cleanly. Right. That's what you have to do. It's the only way forward at that moment. And to me, although there are obviously no timers in the street, time pressure certainly does exist in the street. It's defined by the human dynamics under stress and in combat that are becoming have become much more well-known now. And you don't really get to know what the actual time limit is in advance, but there is one, but you don't get to know it. And in that situation, you still need to remain mentally composed and focused on cleanly completing the task at hand, whatever that is. That's the only answer, in the, the only productive answer, the only way forward in the face of unknown time pressure. Well, and it's funny to me, too, and I, I'd like your opinion on this. Um, and people listening are going to be like, wow, I can't believe you just said that. But um, so of all the shooting that I saw that weekend, um, your shooting was not what impressed me most. Kirk's shooting is actually what impressed me most with his hand being messed up. I agree. But your your mental composure was incredible to watch. And that's, I think, what a lot of people miss out on. And it's certainly a, you know... Uh, an area of deficiency of mine that I am going to attempt to cultivate more now than I have in the past. But, and I think that's what a lot of people miss is um, how important that is. Uh, and I don't know if that makes sense yeah. or not, but I mean, using those two absolutely. examples. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I now, so this is interesting that you say that, and I guess that should make me feel pretty good that you think I had uh, incredible mental composure because I don't feel like I have incredible mental composure. I feel like I have to do a lot of things about that problem so I don't have horrendously bad mental composure under pressure. Uh, throughout any time of competition for me, in, including in other fields, the one that always comes to mind for me is pool. When I, when I was a teenager, I worked at a pool hall, 
it, it wasn't a bar, so you could you know be there under 21. And and I worked at a pool hall, and I was getting pretty good at pool. I was get I had gotten I mean, it was decent. I had gotten to the point where I could like the best I ever did was like break and run. I strung together two racks of nine ball and broken run and broken run, and that was cool and that was good. And I was and, and I was very good in the practice environment, and it was always really really striking to me how much less good I was once we actually started betting stuff. And we were teenagers, we didn't have any money, so we were like, oh, I'll bet you my old Ice Cube CD against your old Arrested Development CD or some ridiculous thing. Um, but even under just like anything on the line, I would crumble, relatively speaking, compared to what I could do in practice. And so that that dynamic was old hat to me when I came into shooting, but it, it's still there in shooting too, because you have the same thing. I've got all this all this technical work I do alone on the range, and then but now when the test comes, it's invariably not in the same kind of environment and not in the same mental state. So to me, there are two big things that are actually substantial ways to deal with that that have worked for me. And I know everybody's different. Some people just like pressure. Huh? What's that? What am I going to do? I'm just going to draw and shoot this steel target, and it's not going to do anything to me. I don't really care here. You know, I know some people are like that. I'm not. It definitely, I, I care, and it, and it affects me greatly. So the two things that I think are really productive with that are, one, Subject yourself to it as much as possible. That seems really yes. obvious, and a lot of people know that. But that one, I think, cannot be overemphasized. Is put yourself in those positions to perform uh, under pressure and under a feeling of stress, uh, as subjective as it may be, as much as possible. Uh, for me, all competition is like that. All the class demos are like that, most particularly where the technical demands are such that it isn't something I can just do in my sleep and there's basically no possibility of failure. Uh, in, you know, in a basic pistol class, um, maybe the demos are not challenging and don't engender that stress, but in pistol shooting solutions, they certainly do because I'm hunting for performance levels that aren't something, you know, I can absolutely do them. I can do them a lot. I can do them a lot of time, but have me do them 100% absolutely never make a mistake. Nope, that's not the way it works for me. There is possibility of failure and I care about the outcome. And that creates the pressure. And um, so performance in that kind of mental and emotional environment is, is very important. And the other thing is uh, it actually goes back to something we hit on on the last show but didn't really get into, I don't think we did anyway, was vision. And so to me, a big, huge, huge – now, what I just said is that's, that's, that's not a very procedural piece of advice. That's something you can do. I think it's going to help. But here's, this is a procedural piece of advice, or at least something that works very well for me, and that is to retreat into the process. It's, it's critical to be process-focused and not outcome-focused. I want to win is outcome-focused. I can't beat you is outcome-focused. Uh, I want to do well, but this is really hard. These people are all really good. Uh, I want to hit the target. I want to slow down. I want to get my hits. All those things are outcome-focused. What you need to want instead, what's generally speaking much more productive than that, is a process focus. You need to want the things that will lead to all those outcomes you ultimately desire. Mechanically speaking, in shooting, those things are aiming and triggering the gun. You need to be mentally, emotionally, deeply interested, like at the emotional pleasure level, interested in seeing your gun align with the target and working the trigger straight back. So, I mean, I have developed, like, love of seeing a good enough sight picture, seeing those iron sights stopped on target where they need to be and feeling the trigger work straight back. And those two points of concentration, retreating into the sights and trigger, are like that. That is how you saw me do whatever it is that I was able to do. 
came from doing that specific thing. I'm going to get the gun out, I'm going to aim it, and I'm going to trigger it. And those are the only things I'm actually going to pay one iota of my limited mental capacity to. Well, and it's, it's kind of funny you mention that because I talked with Kirk a lot about, you know, so I got to shoot against you, uh, and the first run um, went very poorly for me for lots of reasons. But the second one, um, you still beat me, and you beat me easily just because of the things that happened after the first shot. But the first shot was interesting for me because I either hit exactly the same time you did or maybe even, you know, a hundredth of a second before. And it was kind of nice because going into that, I thought, well, there's, you know, this is Gabe White. I can't beat Gabe White. And I didn't beat Gabe White. But um, realizing after the fact that, well, no, you could have. You just didn't this time was kind of a big deal for me. But in talking with Kirk, too, you know, um, and, and he and I spoke about it. Uh, he beat you on one run. You beat him on the other. And then you, you won the, the last one. But I was watching that happen. And it very yeah. easily could have gone much differently if if yeah. If Kirk hadn't been thinking about the outcome, which is what happened, and that's I talked to him about it afterwards. Uh, um, yeah. And yep. well, one thing that I think is really interesting too. So, um, you know, I mean, I was I was in the ladies' division. You guys were obviously shooting at a much different level. Um, but when the the gals did their shoot off portion, um, I can't remember um, uh, exactly the the which which bracket I was in there but there was one gal who I was shooting against and she you know won the first the first round because there's a two best two out of three and uh all those things that you said you know you can you can hear the gunshots going off before yours you can you can at least peripherally see the targets falling before yours you know so you have all of this pressure and she won the first one and remembering and thinking of that exact same thing. Like I can't be focused on whether or not I can win. All I need to be focused on here is the process. And if I, if I don't get it, then that's just, you know, part of it, you know? Well, Hey, let's, let's hold that thought. We'll hop right back in. We're talking with Gabe White. You're listening to ballistic radio. Welcome back to ballistic radio brought to you by surefire, the professional choice for suppressors and illumination tools. Surefire America's beacon of freedom. This segment also brought to you by Surefire. Know your target and what is beyond it. But how can you really know your target? By shining a really bright light at it, and that's where Surefire comes in. From the new 1200-lumen EDCL-2T handheld or 500-lumen EDCL-1T handheld to the 1000-lumen XH35 or the 1500-lumen M600DF Scout Light, Surefire can make sure you never have to yell Aziz Light ever again. Surefire, the professional's choice for suppressors and illumination tools. Remember, you can get 20% off everything at the Surefire.com web store except batteries and suppressors by entering the discount code AZIZLIGHT, A-Z-I-Z-L-I-G-H-T, no space. So we're talking with Gabe White, and before the break, you were, we, we were all sort of discussing um, our, our various takes on the, the TACCON match. Well, what I was saying is, that is there was that moment of, of having the loss, the one, um, the one, I guess, shoot off there and then um being concentrating on that process and and having that mental thought of you know what if i'm working this to the best of my current ability and i'm not worried about the actual outcome i'm just thinking about the process if i lose i can't be disappointed in myself because that's just where i am you know and all it is is a measure of 
I did the best of my ability, and if I didn't do it, I didn't do it, and that's okay. And next time, I I can try harder. Um, and I ended up uh, pulling out the next two and, and won that um, that round, and then went on to to win the the ladies division. Um, but it was just that moment. Oh, thank you. But it was just that moment of like letting all that pressure and realizing that I have been letting all of that pressure just get to me and trying very hard to, like you said, cut through the pressure and go to the process. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one other thing that I thought was kind of interesting about it and about the process, at least for me personally, is. So we, we kind of touched on it and didn't really get into the uh, the vision thing that I do where I can do the at this at will visual focal shift and make the, the front side be sharp and clear with maybe more more conscious control than than I previously had been been able to uh, and that, and that really 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 helps me a lot with that process focus of sights and trigger uh, I can I can make myself get the sights sharp and clear and that really or front side sharp and clear and that really really helps a lot. Uh, with that problem that many people have of when there's all this pressure, one of the first things that goes away sometimes is aiming the gun. Like you just stick the gun out there and shoot it, mm-hmm. but not actually, con- you know, get any real uh, aim going with a good aiming reference like the sights. Uh, and and this lets me helps helps me cut through that a lot. And and I think that the the specific physical circumstances of the of the Tacon shoot off played very directly into that. There was one of the other people in the top 16 that after he was out, um, he had mentioned to me that he had a hard time seeing his sights. And we were under this covered area, shooting into a daylight uncovered area. And so I think I didn't have a fire. I wasn't shooting fiber optic sights, so I, I'm not positive what those look like. But all this, but my sights have this, you know, I've got the Ameriglow Bolds on the Gen 5 uh, Glock. It's just got that really bright uh, orange ring in the front. It was all black. They were all black sites to me. Uh, And so I suspect that anybody who was using irons but was used to doing target-focused shooting with a brightly colored front sight, uh, the the real high-visibility front sight, I have a feeling, I suspect, that if if that was somebody's main method of shooting, they might have really got hurt by that in that particular lighting condition. And that's kind of what I saw in this particular person's shooting is there was, you know, I mean, this is a very, very accurate and extremely highly skilled and saturated shooter. And, uh, and there was, you know, some shots that weren't hitting that steel plate in the mannequin. And, and I think it was, I, he, he, he said he was having a hard time seeing his sight. And I have a feeling it's, uh, it was some of that, some of those lighting conditions playing into it. Well, and I could, I could take a guess as to who that was, but I, I won't, but and well, that having, was... having run fibers, I know you were running a dot, have, um, having run fibers, fibers were, were a lot more uh, bright because I I do very okay. specifically remember being able to pick up my front sight. It was not so interestingly that you say that about the vision and the sights um, because it was not as clear as it had been because I took a lot of shooting classes throughout that weekend. It was not as clear and as defined as I would have liked it to have been and as it was in some of the shooting portions. And that was actually something I found myself getting frustrated of in the moment where I'm like, why can't I see my front sight as, as clearly as I want to? So I'm very interested in this technique. So, so by all means, do tell more, Gabe. Well, we can, we can go through it. I, there probably is time. It doesn't have to be super long or complicated. Yeah, sure. At least get started on it. 
Um, you know, uh, well, I think that's very interesting about the fiber optics. So I'm glad to hear from you since you were shooting them and you said you could see them. Um, that's that's an interesting situation. So that's that's an example of one where probably the fiber optic was a lot more visible than a high visibility night sight because mine were all black, which given given the control of vision I'm fortunate to have cultivated was fine. That was fine. And it probably played to my advantage in the whole thing. So here's here's the thing. So in classical shooting of iron-sided guns, it's, it's, it's traditionally taught that you get the front sight sharp and clear, let the target be blurry, it'll still be visible, let the rear sight be blurry, it'll still be visible, and getting that thing in the middle, the front sight sharp and clear, is what gives you the greatest nuanced awareness of the overall gun target alignment, rear sight, front sight, target spot, and to keep those three things together. That's basically the way it works. Mm-hmm. And there's a whole lot of shooting, uh, particularly when we're talking self-defense styled shooting with a handgun, especially where we're talking kind of biggish targets like, you know, eight inch circles and four inch circles and three by fives and stuff that's about that size. Uh, and it's at seven yards and closer, which is typically where it is for most self-defense oriented shooting, or at least a lot of the time. It's, it's easy in that, with that difficulty of the shooting problem to not need to get the front sight sharp and clear. But if we're historically more talking about universal use of the gun, hit anything you can see, you know, if that's the goal, then the nuances in the relationship of the gun target alignment in that side picture become very meaningful. So certainly this is somewhat removed from straight-up self-defense shooting, but it's applicable to the, to the overall study. So one of the tr- chief difficulties for forever with uh, seeing the front side sharp and clear and getting that level of detail is that for most people it takes time. First, you see and identify the target and decide to shoot it. You bring the gun to its final position, and after the gun is there and the sights are there, then you uh, have this moment where you're forked by the horns of a dilemma. You can choose to either fire now with less certainty because you have, at that point, all blurry sights. you got a blurry front sight, a blurry rear sight, and a sharp and clear target. And so you have less nuanced awareness of what's going on in the sight picture. And for lots of shooting, that is perfectly fine. For some, maybe it's not. But you, that's one choice. You can either fire now with less certainty, or you can wait while you pull your depth of accommodation, that's the depth of visual focus, back to front sight distance after the gun is there, and then shoot with a sharp and clear front sight, blurry rear, blurry target, which gives you more nuanced relation, uh, awareness of what's going on in the gun target alignment in the sight picture, but at the cost of time. And that time, to me, seems to be about two or three-tenths of a second to shift that visual focus. So what I have gotten to is when I make the decision to fire and I am bringing the gun to its final shooting position, whether the gun is coming from the holster, from a ready position, or from a previous target on a target transition, whatever, doesn't matter. Uh, As I am bringing the gun to the target spot, I am already pulling my depth of visual focus, my depth of accommodation, back to front sight distance before the gun arrives there. So that when the gun and the front sight arrive there, the front sight is already immediately in sharp and clear focus, thus getting me out from under the dilemma. I can shoot with more certainty now rather than having to either fire now with less certainty or spend time waiting for more certainty. I can just have the certainty right away. So... In order to do that, here's, here's the, the basic process that will probably take more practice than just what I'm going to present now, but this is the basic few-step process. 
So what we're going to do is you're going to pay. You can do that. And you can do this right now while we're on the on the show. Uh, you can. You, we're going to use your thumbnail as a substitute for a front sight. We'll pretend your thumbnail is the front sight, and you're going to pick a spot somewhat physically distant from you as the target spot. Make it like five or six yards away. It doesn't have to be super far, but it can't be physically super close to your thumbnail. It needs to be a few yards, several yards away from that at least. So. Get your thumbnail up there aligned with the target spot, and now spend just a short time shifting your visual focus back and forth between the front sight and the target spot and the front sight and the target spot. Make the target spot sharp and clear. Make the front sight sharp and clear. Make the target spot sharp and clear. Make the front sight sharp and clear. Repeat that a bunch of times. While you're repeating that a bunch of times, notice the sensation going on in your eyeballs. There is probably a little physical sensation going on in your eyeballs as the ciliary muscles that are responsible for changing depth of accommodation, visual focus, uh, do their work. Notice that feeling. That is really key. That's the whole point of this is get the front sight sharp and clear, get the target sharp and clear. Notice the sensation, a physical sensation in your eyes as you do this. By the way, something I should have said a couple minutes ago, whatever you already do in terms of closing or squinting your non-dominant eye when aiming like this or not closing or squinting it, continue doing what you already do. You do not need to change anything on that. Hold that thought. So well, hold on. Hold okay. that thought. Sure. We'll, we'll be right back. We're talking with Gabe White. I'm staring at my thumbnail, and you're <laughs> listening to Ballistic Radio. Welcome back to Ballistic Radio, brought to you by Surefire, the professional's choice for suppressors and illumination tools. Surefire, America's beacon of freedom. So we're talking with Gabe White, staring at our thumbnails, and go. Okay, so we got through the first part of the exercise, which is to use your thumbnail as a, th as a substitute for a front sight, pick a little bit distant, several-yard distant spot as your target spot, and you're going to align the two, and then make, one, make your thumbnail sharp and clear, make your target spot sharp and clear, do that over and over again, shifting back and forth, making one, then the other sharp and clear. Notice the sensation in your eyes. That is the key. Okay, so now that you've noticed that sensation in your eyes, here's part two, and this may take longer than we're going to spend on it. You're going to get that thumbnail aligned with the front or aligned with the target spot again. Make the thumbnail sharp and clear. Notice the sensation in your eyeballs at that time while your, your thumbnail is sharp and clear. Now, devote all your attention to maintaining the sensation in your eyeball. Hold that feeling. Anchor yourself to the feeling in your eyes and hold it and maintain it and take your thumbnail away, but try to keep the target blurry like it was. Oh, that's, that's super so hard. Creepy. It may be. Okay, okay. So it may be, and this is very normal, that at this point you find that you can maintain it for a brief moment, a second, a fraction of a second, a couple of seconds, and then your eyes naturally revert to seeing the target spot sharp and clear. Mm -hmm. That's okay. If you can do it for any amount of time, I think you can learn to do it for more. You just need to keep doing this step. So you may need to spend more time on this step. Okay, and I'm going to jump ahead now to the third step, and you may or may not be able to do it now, but that second step will get you there, hopefully. So now there's no front sight at all. You look at the target spot. Summon that sensation in your eyes. Anchor yourself to that feeling, that sensation in your eyes, and summon that feeling and sensation in your eyes. Make the target blurry like it was. Now bring your thumbnail to it. And notice how it's already sharp and clear when it gets there. That's what I'm doing. So, huh. so it's interesting, and I actually just kind of learned this my, about myself doing this um, doing this drill. 
is several times when I was trying to do that transition from looking at the target to looking at my thumbnail, I'd get like halfway where it was like my eyes knew I wa it wanted to look at both. And so it would get like halfway and then kind of freeze there for a second. So the target's not perfectly clear, but my thumbnail isn't perfectly clear. And what's really interesting about that is I recognize that feeling for when I'm trying to focus on my sites. And yeah. I'm like, that is really interesting because, you know, you're talking about recognizing that feeling. I'm like, this is exactly how I feel when I'm trying to focus on my front site. And it's like, I can't quite get there and I've identified it now. So that's pretty cool. Cool. I think it's great. I mean, uh, you know, it, it really is. It's almost like a trick, uh, like a biofeedback trick because the way I'm, the way I'm create making my eyes do it is not by having an object, you know, the front site in view with which to make myself shift focal depth. I'm just doing it by sensation mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and, and then it's, it's, it's already done. And let me tell you the difference that it has made for me. Uh, there, there's a bit of a quantification that I can put on it. At least it, it's kind of subjective. It's kind of rough, but there is a quantification I can put on it and it's really shocking. So I shoot GSSF, right? Mm -hmm. Glock Shooting Sports Foundation, great. Uh, very entry-level competition, suitable for, you know, you don't have to be super highly skilled. You need to be able to handle the gun safely and shoot it reasonably accurately, uh, certainly very accurately if you want to do well. But you can go do it without a whole lot of skill. It's not as not demanding in the same ways that USPSA is. Yeah, I've uh, shot a so match. So it's a very yeah. narrow competition, but very deep. It's nearly pure shooting. Uh, you have you present from a ready position. You shoot multiple targets, but that's all you do. You don't do any reloading on the clock. There's no drawing from the holster. There's no movement. There's nothing. But you present the gun from ready and shoot some targets. And so it's very narrowly focused on just shooting. But of course, there's no final depth to that, so it's very deep. So what I found is uh, when I before I learned to do this vision thing, before I learned that, I was a a solid master class shooter in GSSF. Uh, my overall score for one entry in the match was about 55 to 70 seconds, uh, something like that, which is a you know decent master class score. You're not going to win the match with that. You're probably not going to win all the masters divisions with that. You might win one of them. You're probably going to fight it out for the top couple places uh, with other masters in a lot of them. Of course, it depends on the match. Some are stiffer than others, but that's that's basically been my experience with that. Uh, and and then once I learned to do this. Uh, the very next GSF match that I went to, I, I went from a 55 to 70 second GSF shooter to about a 42 to 60 second GSF shooter. So that was, uh, I, I measured that to be approximately an 18% improvement, and that's at something hmm. that is focused on nearly pure shooting. And it was not from shooting faster, it was from shooting that much more accurately when I could have it be much much more certain that I could make myself get the nuance of having the front sight sharp and clear and aim the gun that much more precisely. When it's it's funny because like I'm sitting there doing that and I'm like, huh, that'd be a massive advantage if you could figure out how to do that reliably. Go figure. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I think it is. I do think you it mean is. there's been an advantage? <laughs> well, um, and, and it's it's – I wish I I wish I were still shooting irons because that'd be fun to play with. You know, you can take well, the red dot off your gun. I could. 
Well, did I, did I, am I remembering this uh, wrong, uh, John? Did you say you, you have a hard time getting front sight sharp and clear on irons? Is that yeah. right or no? Yeah, okay. I mean, it, it pretty much right now just isn't a thing that happens, even if I'm trying to make it happen. Yeah. So well, that when, I, when I present this in class, and I do, I, I make it, first of all, it's an optional lunchtime discussion because it doesn't work for everybody. It really doesn't. There, I, I've come to have huge respect for that I am pretty, um, I'm, I'm, I think I am pretty unusual in the way I aim because that's the way I aim all the time. If I'm not shooting from retention, if the gun's extended and I'm shooting the gun in the eye target line, this is the way I'm aiming on, like on a two-yard, three-yard shot. I'm still aiming this way because it doesn't cost me anything. It's all upside for me. Right. But it isn't that way for everybody, and there is a whole lot. If you, you, know, if you look at the top levels of – we'll just use USBSA as an example. There is a whole lot of some things going on that are not considered optimal, uh, the ideal for shooting. you got a whole lot of people shooting a whole lot of target-focused shots with both eyes open, and especially in combination with a high-visibility front sight like a fiber optic. You've got a whole lot of people closing or squinting their non-dominant eye on at least some shots, usually harder, more distant shots. I don't think that either of those two things have to be a true impediment. I think they're a factor, but only one of many, and they're very manageable. So that's why I said at the beginning, you know, if you already close or squint your non-dominant eye or you already don't when you aim with iron sights, just keep doing what you're doing. You don't need to change that at all. Right. And. And one of the first things that I ask when I present this as the optional lunchtime discussion is, is I ask for a show of hands of, are you able to get the front sight sharp and clear at all? And if the answer is you simply cannot, your eyes will just not do it due to physical condition, age, uh, you know, any of the vision disorders, of which there are a great many, uh, any of those reasons, then you're a really good candidate to do one of a few things. You should, with irons, you should explore and cultivate a whole lot of target-focused shooting with both eyes open in combination with a high-visibility front sight. That is a big thing that you should explore and practice a lot. Yep. It, or go to a dot or go to a laser. Yeah. Mm -hmm. those, are, those are the big things. If, like, if you cannot get the front sight sharp and clear, your solutions are probably going to be found somewhere in that other area. Well, and it's funny you mention that because I've explored all three, and right now I'm on yep. the dot. Maybe I'll stay with yep. it. Maybe I won't. I, I'm doing pretty okay yep. with it. But we got about two minutes left, brother. Uh, if uh, what do you want to leave people with, and where can people sign up to take your class? Which I highly recommend that they do. Well, uh, they'll see the class is called Pistol Shooting Solutions. It's very much intended to. Uh, it's almost a crystallization of a two-day crystallization of my years-long journey from tactical Timmy to technical Timmy. It's almost a distillation of that. And so that's, you know, maybe kind of the class in a nutshell. It's intended to take an established, well-founded defensive handgun shooter and hopefully offer some very serious, both technical and tactical enhancements, too. Uh, in many cases, it's both. For some people, it's one or the other, but not both. But usually there's something for you there. Uh, for most people. So that's the class. You can go to my website, GabeWhiteTraining.com, and click on any of the uh, pistol shooting solutions or take a class with Gabe White button, and you'll get taken to the page that describes the class and has a class schedule and links to registration. i got a whole bunch of classes going right now. I'm pretty much booked solid for 2018. I Maybe I can schedule another class for this year, but probably not. Probably we're looking at next year at this point, and I'm already getting into scheduling those. So a bunch of room, a bunch of, bunch of places for you to go. I'd love to see you in class. Nice.
Hey, thanks again, man, for taking time to talk to us. I really appreciate it. It's always very enjoyable. I'm going to uh, practice that. Oh, thanks so much. Thank yeah. you so much for having me. Yeah, My no, pleasure. We're definitely looking forward to coming out and taking it. But uh, be safe, man. We'll talk to you soon. So make sure you check out our website, BallisticRadio.com. Like our Facebook page at Facebook.com slash BallisticRadio. And, hey, keep leaving those five-star review on iTunes. We really appreciate it. Thanks for listening, everyone. It's always be safe. See you next week.